Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Nesh Nikolic, and my guest today is Dr. Micah Goldwater, who is here to talk about psychology of pseudoscience and conspiracy theories. Dr. Goldwater received his BA in linguistics from the University of Rochester in 2003, completed his PhD in psychology at the University of Texas at Austin in 2009, and then held a postdoctoral fellowship at Northwestern University until joining the University of Sydney in 2013. Dr. Goldwater's research investigates the nature, acquisition, and use of knowledge His work focuses on how children and adults can look past superficial to recognize when disparate situations, problems, or ideas share deep structural commonalities. He examines both basic processes of cognition and development, their underlying neural mechanisms, and develops applications to improve education and public health. To achieve these broad research goals, Dr. Goldwell investigates a number of interrelated topics such as understanding the psychology of pseudoscience and conspiracy theories fascinating conversation today dr goldwater's got so much knowledge in this and and really uses some fantastic examples that uh, make it very interesting to be able to observe yourself hopefully uh, and notice your own biases that creep into the way that you think and understand this world enjoy micah a big thank you for coming on to the show today Ah, thank you. Uh, happy to be here. Look, I'm really excited for for this topic, um, probably because I can see aspects of myself enjoying, you know, conspiracy theories and 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 seeing how biases come about, seeing you know pseudoscience uh, examples occurring in in people's conversation and and the like. So, really eager to get stuck into this and find out more about, you know, how this plays out in life. You know. How does it work? What what are the factors that that you know have have uh, you know that are in play that have shown you know how funny the world can be at times and you know that, that I think that's relevant in you know if you're human so um, yeah looking forward to finding out and learning more from you. Oh yeah, oh ha- yeah, very happy to have this conversation and yeah, I'm sure it'll be yeah, very insightful for uh, to hear your perspective and yeah, I like right. it. Maybe we can start uh, uh, from where we uh, maybe touched from just before we started recording um about how sort of this 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 space of conspiracy um has kind of exploded a little bit um in the recent years with covid and and oh um, yeah other other sort of factors coming up which has almost been a nice germinating ground for for uh, uh you know 
so many unknowns and and people being able to put things together and obviously there's probably been so much pseudoscience and conspiracy all enmeshed together so i'd love to hear your your thoughts your views yeah to- yeah totally so yeah there's a there's a handful of um kind of interrelated topics especially from the kind of psychology side where we're kind of looking at similar factors where a lot of it all kind of comes down to things like you know, peop, you know, research into sort of believing things that are, don't seem to be grounded in what a scientist would think of as evidence, right? But of course, not necessarily faith-based things where, you know, there's long, you know, religious traditions and things like that, where, but more, you know, sort of events and things that are sort of happening in the world now, right? It's sort of, you know, and, why, and what are the factors that lead people to believe this, these kinds of things? And um, you know, and so sometimes this research focuses on, you know, individual uh, events that aren't quite uh, accurate or other times it's like, you know, more general kinds of beliefs like this type of medicine is good for you or, you know, uh, or vaccines cause harm, these kinds of things. Or sometimes it's much sort of more elaborate conspiracy theories like, you know, QAnon where there's a deep state against Trump and there's, you know, people, these guys are feeding this information to, you know, his loyal followers to help solve this puzzle, right? So so all this kind of stuff is sort of interrelated in, this, in the research and psychology side. Um, and... Uh, you know, and so what this research was always around, uh, you know, not always around, but you know, in the sort of contemporary history of, uh, of experimental psychology, there was sort of people looking at, you know, things like sort of false memories or misinterpretations of past events, or things like just believing lies in the media. But then around after the election of Trump, uh, where so many things were so blatantly he was just sort of lying all it seemed to be all the time people were believing it <laughs> and uh and that with with covid and all the kind of conspiracy theories that emerged around covid um around you know the uh, uh how it's actually a bioweapon from china or or whatever else this sort of you know has really sort of exploded where the number of papers on some of these topics since 29 we i recently i've been working on this kind of review paper of all this stuff and we were looking at just the number of things that um that come up from research on like debunking or things like that right so 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 research that sort of attempt to de- debunk thing to see whether or not it's effective or what makes it effective or not effective and we saw that basically the papers from the beginning of the field up through 20 you know 19 is basically as many as from 2019 to now right so the amount you know, so, so there's been a huge sort of the amount of like papers published per year on this has really increased. Um, right. Uh, you know, and so in for in for all, you know, and all these types of societal reasons where it's sudden, because, you know, sometimes in the past people had conspiracy theories, right. It was things like, oh, they faked the moon landing. Right. Or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And there wasn't, you know, and we would kind of go, oh, that's kind of cute. Haha. <laughs> what a kind you know, or that's sort of a, you know, it's sort of this funny kind of thing to think about. But it's not, there didn't appear to be the same type, you know, no one was storming the Capitol because mm. they faked the, the moon landing, right? It, you know, it sort of exists in this other space or no one was protesting public health interventions when there's a pandemic because, you know, uh, of a flat earth theory, theory right? Mm. It's, you know. it, it, it's interesting how the environment is, is, is such a huge factor in terms of whether there's uncertainty going on, whether there's people in, in you know who are desperate, 
you know, challenging times. I mean, I, I just recalling from from my own experience, I remember watching a documentary on the the moon landing that was, you know, effectively saying that it never happened. Right. And I was so convinced by the end of it. It was so compelling. Like, you know, they got all these experts on there who, you know, they say that, you know, they're connected to to NASA and, you know, and obviously, first of all, you know, from from, from that perspective, I can't go out and, and corroborate whether they are or not. They can just say that this is who they are. You know, at the first yeah, level, yeah. <laughs> there's an assumption that what what's being said is even valid, right? Um, and if it is valid and then you hear these people saying these things, well, then you're going, well, that seeds, you know, some doubt and, and, and questions the whole validity of it. And by the time you go through 90 minutes of this, you, you're like, I don't know who to believe. Like, did we actually ever land? <laughs> you know, if, if we did, how come we can't do it anymore? And so you go into this kind of very strange place and, and, and that's when things are going well, you know, that, yeah. let alone when there's a bit of crazy going on and, you know, you've got, you know, Trump saying these, you know, catchy three words or whatever it is that yeah. I think are very sticky. He, he has some some innate way of, of saying little phrases or maybe just says so many that once one sticks and the media love it, they just fuel it and then we all hear it, you know, and, and it becomes repetitive and therefore, I don't know, it gets more stickiness, it gets more power, more momentum. Yeah, no, 100% right. He is, he is a sort of unique figure in his ability to kind of captivate an audience and to be, you know, to rile up these types of feelings where, you know, like it's one of these things where, you know, because of his training in TV and all these other things where, you know, and so on the one hand, in the traditional political sense, right, he's kind of this, you, he, he never was, he never held office. He wasn't in the army. He didn't do any of these things, right? But he was this, you know, he, like you watch him at these rallies, right? And it's, and he clearly has a kind of ability to sort of just have all these people just believing whatever is you know he, he he's saying in a way that if up that you wouldn't couldn't just replicate it's not like you look at that and go anyone could do that right um but yeah but but sorry so 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 uh so we, we i think it might be worth building back up to there one of the things you're saying about the compelling nature of these conspiracy theories right so so from um so it's worth talking about all the sort of the psych psychological factors that lead to a lot of this stuff Right. One. So one area. So I, so I sort of break things down, but into a kind of a what's the kind of cognitive aspects of this and what are the kind of social and emotional aspects of this? Mm -hmm. Because I think when it comes to, uh, you know, this whole area of, you know, misinformation and uh, pseudoscience and um, conspiracy theories, there, there's there are both aspects of uh, psychology are quite important. So from a cognitive side right there we look at the the psychology of um the cognition of explanation so how do people explain things in the world and how do people sort of you know understand explanations and there's a lot of work on this where people basically can get extremely confident in pretty bad explanations or pretty shallow explanations and we all sort of do this and not only that, we don't really sort of realize when we don't really understand things. We, we sort of, we, we tend to think about if we, the world and we sort of go, do I understand this? And we often just think yes until you're prodded. So, 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 so some of the examples of this 
were very, you know, completely non-conscious, you know, this was sort of disconnected from any kind of political or whatever. It was things like asking people, hey, do you understand how a toilet works? People say, yes. And then you say, explain to me how a toilet works. And they go, well, I hit the button and then it flushes. And then, and then they sort of realize, I actually don't understand how this works, right? You know, and so, however, because we sort of successfully interact with toilets all the time, right? We know how to get them to do their function. It gives us a sense that we understand them, right? And they did this with like automobiles, they, you know, all these sort of common artifacts that we interact with all the time that we get to, that we use to achieve our goals. And we, and because of that, we sort of build up this sense that we actually, um, you know, that we actually understand, uh, that, that we sort of understand them and can explain them. And then, and so, so that's sort of part of it. So that's called the illusion of explanatory depth, where we sort of think that we have deeper, under, we, you know, until you in specifically interrogate it, you, you sort of walk around the world, <laughs> just kind of going, okay, yeah, I get how this works, right? So, and so another part of it, of that same phenomenon is that we also get more confident in our understanding when someone else in our social group understands something. Right. So, so let's say, for example, something, you know, so in the, in the toilet case or the, or in the car case, we know someone understands how those things work. Cause how else could you make them? <laughs> right. We sort of know that a plumber gets it. Right. And like, I could just ask the plumber. Right. Or, you know, or even I can just Google it. Right. So there's all this, there's all this evidence that when you're aware of how you can get the information that also increases your confidence of your current understanding, even though you don't actually currently understand it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these are these kind of metacognitive illusions where we're kind of where, where, where we are overconfident in understanding. And so and one and so that's one aspect of it. Right. And so another and so also that means and on the flip side, it also often means when people are sort of giving you a kind of more shallow, a, not a super deep explanation, but it kind of fits together well people are also happy, they just go, they look at that and go, oh yeah, that, 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 that makes sense, that explains it, right? But part of it is that we also, despite not necessarily having uh, the most sophisticated explanation for things, we really want explanations for things all the time, right? We're really driven for explanations, especially because they help us, you know, because the idea sort of is, well, if we want to be able to act on the world and to achieve our goals, explaining things you know, is what will sort of get us to reliably act on the world and, and achieve our goals. And so we're sort of motivated to do that. You know, in the social realm, you know, if, if, if someone doesn't, you know, respond to, you, you know, if you text someone, they don't text you back, you start coming up with all these explanations that are kind of like conspiracy theories. You're like, why aren't they texting me back? You know, it just turned out their phone was off, you know, or something, right? But, you know, like, you know this person mad at me, you know, or, or whatever, right? Um, so that's sort of, uh, that's sort of one factor. Another kind, another, factor is people very happily blend different kinds of explanations together. So some people are very surprised. Some people think, well, if you're kind of a science person, so people will go, oh, you know, I, I believe in science. I, you know, people say like, I get the vaccine. I endorse, you know, I support climate change mitigation policies, things like that. And, and their kind of assumption is, is like, you're a sciencey person. You will sort of have some sort of internal filter where you're constantly making sure like what ideas are science and what ideas aren't science. And you're going to kind of put the non-science over here and the science over here, but actually that internal filter doesn't really exist. And people blend 
non-scientific and scientific ideas all the time, partially because often the scientific ideas were not super, are, you know, unless it's like your area of expertise, like you, oh, you're a microbiologist and this is like your area, right? In that area, you have a really deep understanding. Outside of like your deep expertise in something, right? Our understanding is sometimes quite shallow, right? So for example, you know, in COVID, we're like, oh, or how do vaccines work? I'm like, oh, well, you know, you have a small amount of the virus that like helps build up your antibodies. And that's my entire understanding, right? <laughs> you know, I, like that, like that sentence is my whole thing, right? Um, you know, but so it I, is interesting because it's almost like we yeah. yearn for certainty. Yeah. And so when there is uncertainty, we fill the gap with a story of certainty. So it's like, I feel comfortable. I feel at ease if I know and I feel uncomfortable, you know, I need to scratch that itch if I don't know. And and rather than going out and, you know, spending time actually doing thorough research and checking that and so on and so forth, and maybe even enrolling in a course, yeah, yeah. I will actually just quickly do a Google search, grab the first one at best yeah. um, and, and plug that in. Or I'll just ask a friend and they'll tell me their, you know, heuristic shortcutted version and I'll go, yeah, that makes sense. We'll run with that. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. So sometimes I talk about the, uh, some of this uncertainty stuff is sometimes in the non, you know, like the kind of, so there's this, there's this thing called intolerance of uncertainty, right? Uh, where people vary and how aversive they find the experience of not like of being uncertain, right? So some people can kind of go around going, I'm uncertain about that, that's fine. And they kind of go about their business. <laughs> and other people are like, this uncertainty is like really hurting me, right? And so this research is that, that actually has been used. So one thing I think is interesting that I might uh, think about as a, an area of research is that people sort of looked at that in separate areas. So on the one hand, that's actually used a lot in clinical work as a transdiagnostic tool. I've seen sort of work that sort of intolerance of uncertainty as a scale is used and I've and I've seen how it predicts depression and anxiety and all these other kinds of and so it's a and I've seen some work um focusing on intolerance of uncertainty as a way to to sort of help uh an underlying factor among multiple types of you know, psychopathological, well, psychopathological symptoms. But on the other hand, people have also looked at this, but kind of independently in this conspiracy theory domain, where this uh, lack of, un where this sort of intolerance of uncertainty leads exactly as you said, to sort of fill in these gaps in their, ex you know, uh, uh, the, the sort of just, just I'm going to create a coherence to this explanation, right? And, and that's actually, and that you see that, you know, and that comes up a lot with the persistence of misinformation after it's corrected, right? So, so people have shown this experimentally where you just sort of, you know, you give someone an explanation for some, oh, here's some event, you know, it's something like, oh, there was a fire at this uh, plant. It's like a made up news story. Uh, they, you know, um, they, uh, you know, the, someone you know, it was arson, something like this. <laughs> and then they go, oh, actually, it turns out it wasn't arson. But then they don't provide another explanation for what happened. It, there's just no explanation now. And the arson explanation kind of persists in people's mind because there wasn't 
this sort of and they sort of show that even though you sort of they can you remember that it's not arson they still make all these other inferences they still sort of reason about the situation as if it were because they they can't just sort of have a hole in the explanation right and people have related this to for example the, the that original vaccine and autism so the original paper that was retracted right mm. that that made a link between vaccine and autism one of the reason why it persists is even though there's no evidence that right it's, it's very clear that rates of autism is not any higher in vaccinated versus unvaccinated people so there's no you know there's nothing there but we don't have a good explanation for what causes autism right we don't we don't actually you know the fact that we can't say here's the real explanation right and we just have to point to the statistical evidence right the fact that we don't necessarily have a really strong, you know, and there certainly are theory, you know, researchers in autism certainly have different theories about how causes, but it's not like we can just say, hey, here's how autism is called. And because of that, that sort of lets that sort of miss that, that other idea uh, uh, linger, right? Because we, we haven't adequately replaced it. And, and that also then leads to another aspect of pseudoscience where what's some of the things with the, how people just sort of blend exactly what you're saying where you can sort of sort of put all these pieces together and each individual piece might be reasonable, but people have sort of put them together in this into this explanation to feel a coherent whole that isn't really there. So for example, in the vaccine autism case, there's this example where they go, okay, well, we know neurotransmitters are generate, my, the microbiome in the gut helps to generate neurotransmitters. And that is, you know, that appears to be a true thing, right? Um, and then they said the saying, well, in the vaccines, they have all this like impurities and toxins in the vaccine that isn't just like the like it's the manufacturer is not just what's in the vaccine, but it's all the other stuff that's like part of the commercial product. It sort of messes with your the infant's gut biome and then the infant's gut biome can't produce the neurotransmitters properly. And then that leads to these like brain issues that leads to autism. Right. And so and you say all that and you go. That sounds pretty sciencey, you know, <laughs> right? You know, and so there. So, so one of the things that distinguishes, say, pseudoscience from something like, you know, uh, uh, you know, just just sort of uh, religious explanations of things like that is that there is this attempt of bringing all these scientific concepts into it, right? It's 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 so complicated because of that, and and then, you know, on on the other side, we might look at things that are, I think, fairly well documented that you know, are theories, but they're not actually um, proven like there are chemical imbalances in the brain that cause, you know, depression. It's like that, that's that been marketed so strongly by the people who are, you know, selling these products uh, yeah. as a as a kind of like a theory or a, you know, proposition, but it's marketed in a way that kind of says, no, no, it's not really the theory. It's, it's, it's actually the explanation. Um, and yeah. so in the same vein, you know, in the both medical, um, one is kind of saying this is kind of preposterous and, and, and it should be, you know, throw, thrown out. The other one's like, gosh, this, this doesn't have any weight. Um, yet a lot of people still carry it around and, and, you know, very intelligent. I mean, doctors and psychiatrists who are, you know, unbelievably well-trained, much more intelligent than, than, than I might still be saying this, you know, even today, um, no, rather no. than saying we don't actually know why, but we can still see some efficacious, um, you know, properties from this, but we tend to just give a story with it to, to, you know, maybe, I don't know, improve, 
people's um, uh, use, you know, that they will actually follow the regime or not. Who knows why, but but we do it. Yeah, you know, you're, you're 100% right. And, and, and what's something you were saying earlier, right, is that because of, exactly right, because basic, you know, ultimately, right, when it's not, you know, it, it, it's sort of trust in other, in other people all the time, right? Yeah. So you always have, you know, so as, as I was saying, you know, if it's, unless it's like, you're the scientist and it's your research paper. It's not even someone else's research paper. It's like, I, I've done, yes. I've literally done this experiment, right? It was me doing it. If it's not that case, then like every other situation, we're just relying on expert testimony, right? Yeah. And, you know, you know, I go to, I go to a conference. I don't have time. I, you know, I sort of assume, you know, in that case, I assume, well, hopefully someone will attempt to replicate this study. And so someone, you know, if, and so if it, the assumption is, if this is wrong, this will eventually come to light. And I have sort of faith in the scientific method to sort of do that. But I'm, but I'm, but at the same time, I'm still basically just walking around believing what people are saying and that, and that they're not, you know, making this all up. Right. So, but you're, but you're totally right. And, and that and it brings the challenge of, of of the influence of pharmaceutical companies. Well, I think one of the things we're sort of talking about here, right, is that the, a lot of the anti-vax people are very skeptical of pharmaceutical companies, and that is good, right? So, if pharmaceutical companies, there is a there is a large history of um, you know pharmaceutical companies really biasing research findings, right? You know that happened. Uh, oh, now I'm. I'm sorry, I'm suddenly just blanking on his name. There's this great researcher in the University of Adelaide who's a child psychiatrist and has written a lot on um, the bias, all these bias, all the ways that pharmaceutical companies have kind of biased, like antidepressant research, for example. And these, you know, things like where they've really downplayed on negative side effects in certain cases and have had things like, like he sort of pointed out there are these cases where the marketing companies of the pharmaceutical companies have actually written these papers, but the names are uh, on the authors of the papers are these independent, are, are officially independent scientists, right? So, you know, and so in this, so one of the, I think one of the, so, but however, right? So one of the challenges from the kind of scientific community who, do, who don't want this industry, this, this sort of, this industry influence is how do we communicate that the industry does <laughs> bias findings in lots of ways, but the it the vaccines are still safe and we should use them right because it's very because it's actually quite reasonable you know i i am actually quite sympathetic to the right because exactly what you're saying where you know people are presenting that you know and i see this all the time where people are saying actually we don't have very good evidence that depression is caused from these brain chemical imbalances right i mean it seems like something like that has to be true and and because the brain is like you know the and you know, something has to be going on that's something like a brain state, <laughs> right? But that doesn't mean <laughs> it's necessarily the most useful way to think about it, right? So even if that's sort of true, it doesn't mean all we have to do is have this one pill that changes that brain chemistry and that's all, that's all you're going to do, right? You know, so, um, right. And so that's actually, that you're totally right that given that we all are just ha have to trust people in doing any of this stuff, it's then it is quite challenged to be like, well, what's the difference? Like, why should I trust the farm? Why should I take this, you know, drug and not this other drug or whatever? Right. And of course, in the in the in the vaccine case, right, one of the, you know, uh, at least with, in, in COVID's examples, right, when it's all out in the world, 
right? You can just go and measure and see what happened to people in the world. It's it's no longer at the laboratory or the pharmaceutical industry, right? <laughs> you know, so so you you could do this other kind, this other kind of research that's out there that you can go like, okay, if this was killing everybody or something, or, you know, mm-hmm. we would have, you know, independent researchers would sort of uh, uh, find that, right? Um, it's really anyway, that's, that's complicated sorry. because. In usually in a one-on-one relationship with someone, if if, if trust is broken, people will disconnect. Uh, but in these scenarios, what we're talking about is you cannot disconnect from these relationships because they're they're kind of ongoing. You know, we, you know, in in many ways, a lot of people people's trust has been at least you know questioned with you know the pharmaceuticals from time to time, depending on what the scenario is, um, and at the same time we go and reach for it because we see the great evidence and value that has been brought by, you know, medicine as well. So there's this ongoing relationship. And even when there, when there are, you know, significant trusts that are broken, we still have to live with that. It's, it's kind of like a relationship you can't divorce from. And, and so how we think about this mm. or, or the volume of, of, you know, how many times something's broken or, or um, you know, or even, might be even how large the breaking is or, or, or uh, you know, how much it just relates to you personally. You know, I'm, I'm sure that someone who has a child who was, um, uh, you know, who has autism, you know, particularly of a severe, severe range, if, if they believed um, that it was related to, you know, the MMR vaccine, it would be extremely hard to ever, ever be able to, pull that apart you know um uh but you know the further you get away from it because you don't have you don't have that personal connection with it it's probably easier to you know pull away from it or you know see both sides um rather than getting getting stuck on one but it's complicated because it's an it's an ongoing relationship if you know just talking about the pharmaceutical part you know yeah you're you're in a marriage with you know pharmaceuticals or a life, right? Right, right. Yeah, right, right. Because are you really going to say that's it? I'm never taking an ibuprofen again. You know, right? You're, yeah, yeah. You're. Yeah, if yeah. I have a car accident, <laughs> don't take me to the hospital. You know. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, a hundred percent. And so it is. Right, it is this very complicated uh, situation. And all, but you know, so hopefully, right? Ideally, you can. So one of the things that does that is helpful is trusting your primary care physician, right? So there is research sort of showing that uh, trusting your primary care physician and trusting that your uh, doctor would listen to your concerns about a vaccine is actually predictive of being willing to accept the vaccine, right? Yeah. So, so, And so one of the issues is how do we make sure that the relationships between doctors and uh, patients or clients but say, um, isn't broken, right? Because I, you know, because when you have that strong, you know, of course, there's a lots of, you know, doc, as we say, every individual doctor is fallible, they could be wrong about all kinds of things, as you're as you were saying, you know, they might just sort of come in and say, hey, I've learned that, you know, this is what causes depression, or whatever, right? Um, and they can certainly get influenced by the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and there's lots of evidence of that. But at the same time, having same time, having a trusting relationship with the doctor is better than not, right? And so it seems that seems to be an important, a really important avenue. So when you, so people often talk about, well, how do we counter some of these? How do we counter some of these things, at least in the health space? One of the ways to sort of do it is to 
make sure that we have a healthcare system that fosters trusting relationships. Because I know, at least in America, that has totally gone away, right? So, you know, uh, the, the, the way the sort of pricing and billing and insurance works, the way that, you know, the way, uh, you know, the, the way doctors can't do anything without potentially, uh, uh, oh, we're not going to, the insurance won't cover it if you don't do, if you don't do it this way or that way. There are all these sort of restrictions that ended up leading to the doctors not even really wanting to sort of build a relationship with their patients because of all these financial structures, right? And so, um, yeah, of course, you know, of course, you you could still do it in some cases, but if there are these real barriers, right? And so, I think so that is an important uh, point of connection, right? And so, because one of the things that I guess uh, how this relates to some of these things, right, is that when you do lose as institutional trust, so that, that's also one of the things that leads to these conspiracy sort of endorsements, right? So yeah. lose, so, you know, so lose, so a completely lack of trust. And sometimes that lack of trust, and also relating to your uncertainty aspect, there's also when you feel like you've lost a lot of control in your life. So the combination of a kind of lack of trust and a loss of control, because the, the thing around the uncertainty, right, the uncertainty is often related to a sort of a lack of agency or feeling of agency in your life, right? When there's all this uncertainty and you don't know, and there's nothing that you feels like you can do about it, people then have this, 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 this even greater need for these sort of stories, right? Um, you know, and there's, there's been some studies, uh, for example, just showing people kind of random patterns and inducing, um, a, a lack of a sense of agency in them where, you know, and then they're more likely to see patterns in the randomness than, uh, you know, uh, th than if they sort of haven't been induced to have this lack of a sense of agency, right? And that was just a little perceptual kind of experimental trick, but the sort of principle we're trying to sort of look at, right? And then if you look at the certain types of narratives that people then get into something like QAnon type of thing, it sort of pits you as the kind of hero in this story, right? So, so you're sort of both, you know, so the people, for example, in the QAnon case, they're both the kind of victims of this kind of deep state, but also they're the heroes of being able to sort of help Q like fight back against the deep state and help their guy Trump or something like that. Right. So, so, you know, so there are these narratives that are built um, that, yeah. So, so, so there, so you're totally right. So, so this, this, this combination of when you don't sort of, when you sort of feel like you've lost agency in your life, you lost trust, and you then one way to feel that sense of certainty back is via these stories, especially where you have that role. So that's a big, um, uh, uh, you know, part of that sort of uh, a lot of those are the kind of social emotional aspect of it. Oh, and, it, and then, of course, in addition to that is the like social identity aspect of that as well. Right. Where before oh, you jump into that, yeah, before you jump into that it, it, it's really interesting as you're talking, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about. Um, part of my heritage uh, being Serbian, and look, this this will probably be a, a, a biased um, view uh, because obviously I, you know, I don't want to characterise the whole of Serbia or, or other countries as well. Um, but it almost seems to me like uh, when I go visit Serbia, where my family's from, I, I do hear a lot of pseudoscience floating around that is, is adopted very easily, you know, and, and it ranges very, you know, very broadly from if you go to a certain part of the, the hills and the nature, 
you know, there are these energy areas that are healing. You know, a lot of it is healing based. You know, if you drink from mm. these springs, the springs have got these minerals that come out and the minerals are perfectly balanced because they come from nature and, you know, so-and-so, you know, who's famous was, was, was there and this other person went there as well and you know, uh, so-and-so drank it and their cancer went away. Um, mm. There's so many of those prevalent, and I don't know whether that's a bias thing because I've, I've, because I've heard lots of it, and we don't tend to talk that way in Australia. But sure. I'm wondering where there's a education thing going on. Certainly not suggesting that you know Serbians are, are, are less educated, um, but maybe you know the yeah. conditions of a country. You know they live in more desperate conditions, harder conditions. Unemployment is very high. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of social problems. Their medical fraternity is absolutely, you know, broken. Um, you know, so so many systemically, you know, it's broken. There's so much corruption out, out there. It's it's you know, and it's a war torn country that's you know had so many leaders and you know, all you know horrors have occurred. I'm wondering if that plays in, into it versus you just don't hear it at the same volume here in in Australia. Well, I certainly haven't felt that way. Oh, 100%. So, right. So, so actually, what, yeah, the focus on healing. And, and so, right, you, you see this a lot. So what I was talking about, for example, the blending of scientific and non-scientific things into people's, um, into people's explanations, right? You see that a lot in the kind of med, in the kind of alternative medicine sort of space. Mm, right where where yeah. yeah and so i you're you're, you're totally and that's probably where i'm not I'm, I'm unfairly characterizing serbian so i better better pull back there in case of no. any serbian listeners uh, <laughs> but you, you do hear a lot a lot of you know uh, whether it's european or, or even the moment you walk into the australian culture and start looking at that space oh. the alternative medicines it just blows up it goes wild i'm i'm sorry as i i have to i'll be right right back for a second sorry yeah, yeah no problems um uh, I think what what is interesting is is where there maybe is a lack of uh, how how should I explain this? Uh, a lack of science where there hasn't been as much rigor in the scientific method or you know people replicating um, research. We start to maybe open up to stories or or these you know, pseudoscience possibilities occurring where we blend the ideas and they start to sound kind of reasonable. And, you know, there's a lot of antidotal medicine, uh, antidotal evidence that starts to creep into all of these areas. And I think that antidotal evidence becomes very compelling because we, if we've experienced it ourselves, we, 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 believe it'll apply to everyone else and maybe that's also where the placebo effect kicks in is, is you know we know that placebo effect is alive and well and the fact that uh you know medicine tries to often use placebo as a control and if 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 placebo if 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 placebo is used as a control in 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 medicine we can at least get an understanding of whether there's a increased effect on, on, on something to promote whether it's valuable or not. And 
I think in the alternative world with the lack of research, with the lack of, uh, uh, you know, other researchers going out and replicating, we start to find that space of antidotal evidence saying, you know, it must work. So if I take a sugar pill, um, it, it, we know it works, you know, and I think we know that a, a small blue pill works than just a regular white sized pill. Um, uh, and, and, and so there's, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to kind of see how, um, you know, in particular the alternative medicine world is, is I think prone to conspiracy theories. Would you agree with, 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 with some of that, that there's, there's, there's a lot in that, in that space? Yes. Um, no, to- totally right. So there's a few different, um, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a bunch of sort of related issues in there, right? So one of the things that, and one of the things. Oh, that sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, but sorry. no, no, you're right. <laughs> but that, um, yeah. So, so one of the uh, issues is that right? So, so we have these. Uh, there's a handful of related sort of biases, right? So one of the things you should have mentioned, right? There is this strong bias of naturalness being really good, right? There's a sort of notion that um, naturalness, you know, that like, you know, uh, Mother Earth, right? You know, we're going to sort of heal ourselves. You know, people have always had the ability to heal heal themselves. Oh, whoops. You know, people have always had the ability to, you know, sort of heal themselves. We need to boost our natural immunity, right? We, you know, modern society is what, ill is what ails us is the real you know problem all these sort of modern toxins and if we go back to our kind of natural state then we will be healthier and happier in these in these types of things right so there's and, that and a lot of that is 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 valid you know yeah we we know that obviously with with history we we're living longer and longer and 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 better at the same time uh, if i were to go out and take someone who you know, 500 years ago, and I splashed chemicals all over them, they wouldn't be better off by having all these chemicals splashed on them. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so, uh, you know, uh-huh. we've progressed far, far ahead um, that our lifespans and quality of life and, and actual health in old age has improved significantly. But it's actually still true that don't splash chemicals on your body. Period. Right, right. Like, you know, that, that makes sense, but it, it, it can get yeah, to the absurd level, can't it? Yeah, right, yeah, right, hundred percent. Because you know, just like the, you know, for example, right, uh, pesticide. Right, you shouldn't just drink a pesticide, right? You know, there. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. But also, there's you know, when you think about the naturalness, but also disease. You know, diseases is natural. Cancer. You know, there are all these horrible things. You know, uh, uh, right. I mean, if you look at nature, right? You know, look at you watch a nature documentary. Look, that crocodile just eating that. You know, whatever, right? <laughs> like that's natural. I don't want to get eaten by a crocodile, right? So you know, so it so it doesn't take that much to to necessarily think like, well, there's so so you know, there's really horrible things that can happen naturally and artificially and vice versa, right? There's really beautiful things that are all natural and you know, right? So so it's one of those things where the and so that's one of the reasons we call it sort of a bias is that rather than taking each case as it comes. I mean, like, is this specific natural thing good? Is this specific artificial thing good or bad, right? There's a kind of an assumption, oh, well, natural is just a kind of good thing 
overall and artificial is like a bad thing overall mm. right and so you know and so that's often in the backdrop that sort of pr promotes these now of course any particular like like you know any particular explanation that someone may offer you know so oh this you know these springs are particularly healing or something like that they'll sort of there might be oh these are the minerals that are particularly healing right the, you know it, it gets much more specific in that case beyond a kind of well it's natural and therefore do it right but often you see that uh this kind of naturalness bias is an underlying mo motivator to a lot of those kinds of you know all, a lot of those particular instances and we're talking about these cultural differences right now, I'll just quickly that, jump in before you yeah, get sure. it, that. That really does link in with that cognition of explanation because the moment we factor that in, yeah, you, you, you know, like we might go and say iron is good for you. It's like sure, but it depends on the context. And and so if there, if we find iron in this in this you know stream, um, and you drink it, you know, yeah, that will probably you know, add iron into your system. That makes sense, but yeah. You know, we don't even know how iron works. I mean, maybe doctors certainly do. I, I, I maybe I'm not sure. Maybe you do, but you know, my, my yeah. explanation is I don't know. You drink iron, it goes into your gut, you absorb it, and it your goes into your blood, and blood uses iron to take oxygen around. Yeah, you know, right. So what does that mean? You know, like it's no, no. so basic. It's yeah. it, you, you have no capacity, and, and it might not actually even work that way. You know, it might work in a completely different principles and so oh, on, but. But the cognition or explanation, you know, just just comes in and says, "Hey, you know, this is yeah, how it works." A hundred percent. I mean, and, and I have some colleagues who've done some work on the way nutrition is is described, and, and in the past, and I still sometimes common. You just sort of tell people what things are good. At, they don't even offer any kind of explanation. So, for example, bananas are good because they have potassium. What does <laughs> potassium do? I have no idea. <laughs> No one knows what potassium does. It's like, you know, I mean, obviously some people know what potassium do, but the number of people who can tell you bananas have potassium and that's good, I think it's probably, you know, millions times more than the number of people who could actually have any kind of it, even the level of the explanation, like, well, a vaccine, like that you, well, like a vaccine increases your antibodies with a small amount of the virus. Like, you know, people don't even have that level of explanation yeah. for things like potassium. Right, and then and you so, mix it in when you have kids. You go, oh, you know, bananas and the potassium, make, you know, make, makes your kids constipated. It's like, right, oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right. And you're just like, okay, right, yeah. So, and, and, you know, and they've actually done some. Uh, this is uh, uh, Derek Powell of Arizona State University has done some work on this, where you know, even offering just like a little bit of so. So even though we're sort of saying on the one hand, our explanation, we kind of are happy with somewhat shallow explanations even giving just that little bit can actually be persuasive and you're sort of showing that even offering some of that for nutrition like potassium offering just these little common sense explanations are actually more convincing to get people to think oh maybe we should eat more yeah, fruits and vegetables it's got potassium you know yeah he yeah rather than <laughs> just saying it. like yeah yeah when yeah. it's being like here are the things that are yeah so i mean so um yeah so 100 percent. i mean it, it, and also, we, we look at a couple of these biases as well, where I talk about the natural medicine sort of space, right, where most things you get healed from, right, just generally, right, 
you know, it's, it's only one time where you're not going to heal from something, right? You know, so, uh, you know, most of the time, or, right? I mean, I guess things are chronic. Sorry, I mean, right, you don't just, you can live with things that you don't heal from. I get it, I get it. Yeah, 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 sorry, right, yeah, sorry. <laughs> right, but, you know, yeah, so for example, if you think like herbal, let's say you take, you know, so people are like, okay, let's say you have a cold, you take a herbal pill, and then you feel better, right? Now, you don't necessarily think, would I have felt better anyway yeah right you attribute it to the action that you've taken right because part of what the sort of of similar bias to like the you know i flush the toilet and therefore i understand how it works right we kind of attribute you know we sort of attribute causes we attribute causal power to the actions that we take right and so if you took the pill you go well that's the thing that did it you don't think well actually you know i have a cold and if i don't do anything two days later i'm probably you know, going to bed. So, so, so that's another one of these, you know, so there's really a host of these sorts of, uh, thi- you know, uh, things like that, yeah. where they all kind of lead in support of it. And, it. and it makes total sense, right? Because, you know, if you also think about something like, I, uh, you know, talking about placebo controlled trials and randomized trials and things like that, those are very like new d- developments, right? You know, we've been do having you know medicine. We've been like you know, there've been people practicing medicine on Earth for thousands of years, right? And the idea of having like a placebo-controlled randomized trial, right, is like not very old in comparison, right? It, you know, so you know, and also we've effective so so using non-method, you know, not using those methods. We certain people over time have certainly have developed things that seem to work pretty well, right? Um, you know, of course, now we would say if any of those things really did work, then we could just do a randomized controlled trial on it and we would show such a thing. Right. Um, but you know, but it sort of, but it certainly makes sense that that's not our kind of default way of thinking, right? If it was our mm-hmm. default way of thinking, there wouldn't have to have been a scientific revolution, you know, and you know, all these other well, we're, types of we're things. Such pattern recognition beings is that we, we we therefore walk around and you know do that classic thing that you know we was kind of uh forced down our throats of you know correlation doesn't equal causation yeah. right um, right right which we, is we... such an important thing to to, to understand and, and learn and at the same time in the absence of a capacity to do you know rcts uh it made sense that you know aboriginals walked uh, on you know through through the australian bush and you know when one had a cut or a sore or a boil or something they put a certain herb on that and then you know after some time they recognize whether one helps or not and there's a bit of pattern recognition and then that's passed on to next and so all of a sudden the the ict not that it would be that controlled but the ict might go over 10,000 years or something like that that yeah, then eventually you've got you know a, a you know a, a fairly reasonable pa- palette of of items you can go to in the bush and say this is useful for this this is useful for that and and you know at some level it's probably got some validity and you know hence why we go and try and study some ancient places and say what do you guys use and what's in that and maybe we can try and put the microscope on that from a scientific perspective and see where, where's the merit in this oh a hundred percent right yeah because right cause especially because if you're sort of testing it out what we might call sort of informally even though it, they, it may you know might have been quite 
uh, you know, in the, in the sense of from the modern guys, right? If you do that for long enough, as you're saying, you're going to have enough observations that the, you know, the chances are exactly right that you, you know, that you definitely have uh, gone to something for sure. Um, right. And uh, sorry, I just want to bring back because you also had that you question when you're talking about Serbia about the edu about education yes, as yes, the sorry. issue. Yes. Uh, and I want to say that there's when we're talking about the some of the educate some of this work on education is where some of this work came about where people were noticing that people would happily kind of blend scientific and not scientific things together. So there's this thing called explanatory coexistence, where in people's explanations, they're happy to have sort of science and sort of something that's not science. And so some of the work that was first, that first sort of looked at this uh, by Christine Laguerre, she went to, during her PhD, she went to South Africa and went, this was in the mid 2000s. And it was a, a bit after the sort of peak of the AIDS uh, crisis. And in the, and in the bush there, right, there at, at some point education came through and this sort of Western education came through, and there was this idea that before AIDS was trans, HIV was transmitted via witchcraft, right? And then there was this whole, then there was this education program. You know, it's it's through the blood, it's sexually transmitted. You have to, if you wear a condom, you can prevent this from happening, things like that. And then what Christine did is she uh, talked to a lot of people and sort of got them to sort of explain different scenarios of um of people getting infected with hiv and what they what they she saw was that the education didn't replace the previous knowledge is that they kind of blended it and so they would say so there'd be things like i got hiv from having from sleeping with an infected woman but i was only attracted to her because of witchcraft right and so like the witchcraft was still in was it was still playing a role it just wasn't like at the moment of trans of, of transmission right and so the so the two different ideas kind of got blended together now it's one of those things where we look at that and go oh well maybe that's you know that's these bush people in africa or something like this but then she started pointing out that this is actually the normal this is the default all over the world and one of these examples that i think about is the you know put, don't, don't you know put your coat on or you'll get sick when it's you know, cold outside, right? You know, go, if you go outside in the snow, you're going to get sick, right? <laughs> That's not how you get. And I sort of realized I had kind of blended these things together where I was like, oh, well, if you're cold, you're probably more susceptible to getting sick, even though it is actually the virus that gets you sick. And then I was looking into that and I was like, wait, there's actually no evidence that that's really the case, right? So I actually, I did find one paper in 2015 in mice where colder mice had, vi had, had sort of vi mice that were colder had virus replicating slightly faster. But that's like this one paper that sort of found that. And that's certainly not the basis of anyone's idea sure, that being cold gets you sick, right? <laughs> you know, and so, and I totally, I totally just, right? I didn't, I had totally just taken some old, you know, wives tale type of thing and just blended in, in with my understanding of viral transmission. Right. It's it's fascinating. I, I actually laugh about that quite quite a lot. Um, you know, with with my parents, um, because that that's a classic one. It's like you know, don't go outside. It's cold. You'll yeah. catch cold, or you know, the, you know, drafts are a big one. You're not allowed to have a draft in the house. You know, yeah. Or, or having wet hair. If you've got wet hair and you go outside, that that you know, it's got nothing to do with the pathology of an actual virus <laughs> that you, you touched and licked and and and, and so on. But at the same time. Even though I laugh at that, 
uh, I was observing observing myself uh, speaking with um, uh, Dr. Christopher Hunt on previous podcast, uh, looking at gambling, um, and I could just observe myself trying to uh, 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 put these explanatory, you know, coexisting stories together, trying to get my head around, you know, what are the features and factors that 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 um, come together for people who are you know, having difficulties with um, your problem gambling. Um, and it was just fascinating to see myself doing exactly what you are describing here is you use, a, you know, a little bit of evidence and then you kind of put your own narrative around that. And some of it, you know, is, is bound in, in, you know, more solid evidence. And the other part is just this other explanation. It's kind of like, it's difficult to take the old coat off and put a new coat on. You kind of put both coats on. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so it's it, it's really challenging. And this is that difference between, you know, when my children ask me a question, they don't have a coat. They just adopt whatever dad gives them, right? And, and, and you know, that's a bit scary as well. But um, yeah, it's it's fascinating because they, they're not having to replace a thought or they, they, they've, they've just got room for something new. And so if you don't know anything about mental health and someone says you've got a chemical imbalance, Right. done right and then you, you you take something and obviously if you're you know feeling at the lowest point and then we have regression to the mean which means you start to naturally come up um, because you're in the you know no treatment at all in both scenarios placebo no treatment at all and um, uh, psychiatric medication all show an improvement it's it's a scary space to see how we tie these things together and you know, create dependency or something. And I've gone a little bit astray oh, no. there, but no, no, hundred percent. It's fascinating yeah, seeing how we find it difficult to let go of old information. You know, yeah, and so we hold on. And I actually tracked this, so you can see this happening in multiple timescales. So, so, so one in the child case, it's totally true. When it's something that's a totally testimony based thing, like maybe how mental health works, something like that. But in the physical and natural world. Kids actually do. So one of the one of the challenges of sort of science education in primary school is actually getting them to um, sort of go away from the explanations that they form just from their own observations. So there are these examples of, for example, kids will think that the how how does day and night work, right? So the day the day you know the sun at night the sun is under the ground. <laughs> And the, you know, and then during the day it comes out of the, you know, in the, and the moon is in the sky at night and then they switch and then the moon goes under the ground and the sun comes out of the ground into the sky. Right. And that is completely consistent with what it looks like. Right. <laughs> you know, and so, but then when you're teaching like a six-year-old, not, that's not how it works. You actually see this exact same thing where they go through talking about the two coats. They have this period called a sort of, you know, uh, th there's this idea that there's the naive model or the miscon the preconceived sort of model of the earth. And then there's the sort of expert model where no, the, you know, the uh, earth is, you know, uh, uh, you know, rotating and et cetera. Right. So the earth, the earth is sort of rotating on its axis. Right. Um, and then there's a synthetic model where they've combined the two. Right. And so all kids go through. So even in this situation, you sort of see that like, they, there's a time where they've integrated the two and to, and they ha and the, the almost no one, you can't skip that phase. Before you get to the expert understanding, you sort of have to go through this phase where you sort of integrated them. And that it, you see this in other sort of areas of, of 
science education as well. But on a faster time scale, I actually have, I did some work on, on COVID where we looked at, uh, you know, understanding COVID as spreading on surfaces versus understanding COVID as spreading in the air, right? Because remember when COVID first came out, right? What, what came out, sorry, like it's a movie. You know, sorry. What, 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 the trailer was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just like, oh, weird things are happening overseas. Yeah, right. And then, uh, uh, right. So, um, right. So, so you know, I remember like it was it was all about sp- sanitize everything, right? Spray down people, you know, spray down your, you know, sp- spray your groceries, right? People, you know, th- this thing came out, and it, I remember there was a study that was like we tested a COVID on a piece of metal and 48 hours later, you could like detect that the virus was still there or something like that, right? And then they're like, ah, it's every, you know, and there was the idea that like, well, maybe if we just wear those, you know, dog, you know, uh, collars and we can't touch our face, then we won't get it, right? Um, you know, and then, but actually by around July, 2020, which was pretty early in the pandemic, the evidence was getting pretty clear that actually aerosol, air-based transmission was important and the surface spreading was very minimal and things that and that's one of the reasons why early before delta and delta was such a more powerful spreader but before that there weren't any cases in new south wales of like outdoor documented cases of outdoor transmission right all of these things like that right but one of the things that i one of the things that i tracked was that people didn't drop the surface model right so people added right so so people added the, the idea that there was, you know, aerosol spreading in the air, but everyone still thought about, you know, about how it's, how it's like in saliva and on things. Right. So remember all the, so, so, you know, so gyms are like, we're white, white, we're white. We get our weights, you know, we're spraying our, everyone spray their weights yeah, down. Do, do a vigorous workout where you're breathing really yeah. heavily and just make sure you wipe down the surface. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. And all of that stuff is all, cons- you know, now here was a thing where, this was a misinformation, right? There was a brief period of time where the best scientific understanding was that's how it worked, right? It quickly changed, and but then everyone, but everyone's minds had sort of been made up, and it was really hard to get rid of that idea, right? Mm-hmm. So we sort of, so what was really interesting about that was that seeing that unfold in real time, and that was related to. So, for example, I remember during the second lockdown in Sydney during the Delta. That when Delta came back, there were all these, when, when it came back, all these people were like, there were these people at the beach. Remember, there was like a 10 kilometer radius you were allowed to go. There was like a 10 kilometer radius you were allowed mm-hmm. to go to, and then five kilometers. And all, and the people who live near Bondi were like, well, I'm going to the beach, right? They're like, we're, you know, and then all these, all these people on, you know, then the, her, then the, uh, you know, these newspapers take pictures of everyone on the beach, like, look what they're doing. They're at the beach. They're like ruining this for everybody. You know, they're causing, they're causing the lockdown, you know, and that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> and that sort of pulled people. And a lot of the people who were concerned about the outdoor gathering were people who endorsed the surface spreading, right? So endorsing the surface spreading people were the people who were really con- were concerned about outdoor gathering, because if you, you know, sneeze on the grass, someone else could touch the grass or whatever, right? Sure. Anyway, sorry. So, I mean, maybe that's more on that than necessary, but right. But, but you could sort of see, <laughs> right. But, but again, that's what I mean that the, the psychology of these things, right, don't, aren't unique to mm. misinformation, to conspiracies, to whatever else, and right? Maybe, it's just how we think. Why, yeah. Maybe that's why the COVID space has created so much is that 
because the narrative changed so much yeah. that we became overwhelmed and we lost trust. And, and so uh, at, at, at various points, we probably all held a viewpoint and then we changed the viewpoint and then we changed it again. And then and we changed it so many times that we were left with, I don't know who to trust. Like even today, if someone would ask me, do masks help? I actually don't know because I've heard compelling evidence from both sides and I'm not a doctor, so I can't even, well, I, I haven't bothered to go to a, you know, any academic, um, you know, uh, good you know, peer-reviewed literature and tried to read and, um, and understand it. So I'm still kind of, you know, headline grabbing. Yeah. Um, which which basically is, you know, the useless, useless sort of um uh, endeavor. And I have still no idea how does it work. Um, you know, do you put one on? Do you not? Um, you know, I've been in the hospital recently for, you know, looking after a loved one and you know it it's loosely, you know, uh, masks are usually used now, you know, and, and that was even in a place where they were a bit more stringent, you know, in the cardiology type of space. And they were yeah. like, you know, and, and in your defense, yeah, the ex the experts, I mean, so I I was totally I had at one point assumed that it's true. Everyone agrees that these masks are actually really good <laughs> and they and they're helpful. And then I started saying, oh, actually, there are there are they're they're not just the like anti-mask protesters, you know, but there actually are um experts who are looking at data and certain from and of certain, you know, papers that seem to be suggesting there is an effect, they're not particularly effective. So you're totally right. So, right. So, so visually, so it makes sense that, the, you know, if you cough, it's going to yeah. hit the surface of, yeah. of the, right? So it has to have some effect. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> but it's so fascinating that you, you're still debating your brain going, but how much of the effects? You're still in this place of unknowns and, and then you kind of like, your mind just goes, you know what? I can't even think about it. You know, you, it's kind of like saturation and, and, I think in that, you know, I don't know if there's a scientific term for that, but once you get to sort of saturation, you're like, I'm not going to debate it anymore and I'll just stick to one, you know, and usually it means yes or no rather than that, maybe that intolerance of uncertainty of saying, right, right. I don't know. And yeah. you know, I, I lean probably on the, I don't know. So I just won't comment. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, for another person that intolerance of uncertainty might, might mean that I'll just, you know, lean into the one that seems most reasonable, like, hey, you put it on your face, it captures something, it must therefore be good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. And, I, and I've kind of defaulted to this thing where I'm like, well, I guess I'll wear a mask in situations where it's like not like inconvenient at all. Like if I'm on the train, I can just wear a mask, like no big deal, right? <laughs> it's like, I, I have no reason, you know, so I'm like, so I'm kind of erring on the side of caution in certain situations where there's no cost to do so right but once you're in a situation where you're like well i'm in a pub and i can't have a beer and wear a mask right <laughs> and yeah. so then i'm like well i guess in this situation i'm not right so that's not the most like consistent and there might be a social cost there as well because you so, want to, be able right. to communicate openly and so on right right so you kind of you know so that's not the most that's not the most like principled scientific view <laughs> of things i'm just kind of you know we all just kind of develop these heuristics right that kind of help us navigate our that you know, and of, I mean, it's one of those things where clearly, like, if it was just if there was just as obvious evidence as if you wear a mask, you will never get sick. 
And if you wear a mask, you will get sick. If anything was that black and white, it'd be like, okay, I guess I'm just going to wear this all the time, right? But, you know, but, but right, because the evidence is not. Anyway, yeah, no, it, is, um, it has been quite <laughs> an interesting time for all of us to sort of uh, uh, deal with these things. And yeah, because one of the issues became, you know, I don't know, uh, another aspect of this related to these conspiracies and these attitudes is when one aspect of having to transition again is that sometimes these things become, you know, social uh, group markers as well, right? So that's another, another, and one other factor I hadn't mentioned, I don't think I mentioned previously, right? Particularly in America, right? Where the masking, where if you put on, a, you know, there was kind of like, uh, if you're a Republican, you, you shouldn't wear a mask because you're like, you know, it's sort of a signal. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so there was um, the vaccine as well. So there, there was this very, it became very politicized. Right. Where and people viewed I started I seen these signs and I was watching these protest signs and. And so early on, so early on, the protest, the, the sort of anti. Like the, the group of people who were opposed to whatever mitigation measure was out there. So early on, it was lockdowns like before the vaccine and then it was sort of mass and then anti vaccine. Right. Depending on, you know, because it took a while for the vaccine to be developed. Right. Early on, the focus was on like the lack of efficacy or the lack of risk, right? This isn't really a dangerous virus, right? There's no, you know, so there was, it's just like the flu. Why are we doing all this if it's not really dangerous? Then, you know, or, or, you know, or something like, you know, then after enough people had died where that just wasn't, you, can't, you couldn't, there's no plot. There was just no plausibility to that statement at all, right? Then I saw that the protesters were shifting where, I saw this, I saw this one sign, photo of a sign that said, I'd rather die than live in fear. Right. And so then the idea was, you know, I, I saw these like, don't bring your, ma I saw these signs outside these businesses that don't wear your mask in here. Don't spread your fear. Right. So the spreading of the fear was seen as worse than spreading the virus. Right. Oh, because wow. so it was social identity based. It was like, you know, this is you're in our tribe or you're not and somehow the tribe creates a an identity which then says this is how we're going to respond which is this doesn't exist um, yeah yeah it's not well, it's not it's not scary it's not going to kill um you know and that moves from you know whether it be don't wear a mask or you know don't don't spread fear yeah yeah and uh, it, 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 it's connected to it and also that's also a, a social group that really cares a lot about kind of traditional masculinity and like you know so so if you're basically a cow right so 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 wearing a mask was like a sign of cowardice right like you weren't willing to sort of you know and so that was sort of so so they actually kind of stigmatized it right they kind of made doing health mitigation you know, they sort of made like, it. Yeah, you know, yeah. they sh like, it's like they're shaming you for mitigating your risk. Right. And that sort of became the strategy where at first, right. So, yeah. So, so in a way, and I have some data suggesting that that was actually way more important for people's attitudes than whether or not you thought, right. How risky is it? What works? The actual thinking about what works and thinking about the risk became less important than the stigma or the shame and thing and, and those types. So once you kind of create those aspects, those things kind of trump everything. I mean, I, you know, I, I see that. So you see this, the same type of thing in conservative groups in America, specifically around things like climate change, you know, as a way to 
uh, sort of spread opposition to climate change mitigation policies as well. So, you know, um, uh, you know, people say like, oh, they're going to make everyone vegetarian, right? To fight, cl fight climate change. They're going to take your hamburger away from you, right? And like, you're a man, you love hamburgers, right? They sort of get into like the masculinity of meat, and wow. and therefore like and you're going to sort of lose your mass or, or trucks right think truck you know trucks and that is powerful because it yeah. prove, i mean if i just think about myself as a young man uh, i mean i would work really hard to try and you know get my dad's approval you know if i was playing sport and i you know was hit um you know it was manly to get up and and, and keep fighting and i was rewarded you know um it was like yeah good you know so I, this whole masculine thing you know if, if i cut myself when i used to uh, work as a mechanic my dad taught me when you cut yourself or burn yourself you just grab grease and you put grease into the cut and it stops the the blood right um and so you know it's kind of like that's that's good and it's like you know yeah. I, I believe it actually is helpful for for burns um so long as they're superficial you don't want to put you know grease and Effect a um a severe you know, yeah yeah but the, but the truth is you know probably putting it underwater for 20 minutes as they say and you know it's probably is, is, is a better than the grease response but you put grease on there you continue your job you continue doing that that's what a man does and so that's really interesting thinking about how you know whether it's pseudoscience or, or conspiracy you you there's a current and you go with your current, you go with your tribe. And if your tribe says, you know, this is about, you know, being strong, masculine, well, then all of these things are nonsense. Um, right. Know, and, 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 you know, we can kind of reject them and, you know, Rob down the road, he, you know, he's 72 and he got it and um, he didn't take any medical advice and, and he got through it. As a matter of fact, it hardly affected him. Right. So right. therefore, done you know yeah closed. yeah <laughs> right and i'm just as healthy right oh it only if right you know it only hurts the weak ones i i go to the gym you know you had a lot of Another one, yeah. you know, fitness people being again right a lot of the fitness people were against vaccines and stuff They're like i you know i work out all the time i eat healthy i exercise <laughs> i'm gonna i it's not gonna hurt me right you know um yeah yeah right yeah so i guess i mean we're probably i'm i probably you know uh, I don't, uh, uh, I've gone off a bunch of different directions. Right. But so, so to kind of, you know, put all those things together. Right. So there are these, right. As we're saying these sort of basic cognitive things, right. Like how we generate explanations, how we evaluate explanations, how we sort of search for coherence, right. To make sense of things. And then there are these social emotional things as well, where you have, if you can't take uncertainty, you feel like your agency has been removed from you. Right. Where, um, you know, like an this sort of, it's like being in a, a war-torn country with low economic prospects, right, is one way to make people feel like they don't have control in their lives, right? You know, these types of social and uh, emotional things, lack of trust, uh, you know, and then also group identity, and then also these sort of group identity things that are uh, uh, sort of showing how these ideas are sort of at odds with the values of their group, right? All those types of, all these types of things, the sort of cognitive and the social emotional, all kind of work together to sort of promote these sorts of um mm, mm. ways of thinking uh how much does it how much how much does um uh, a person's popularity play into this you know i i listen to a fair bit of joe rogan and oh yeah some right. of the stuff that comes out is fascinating and interesting gets incredible guests on and, and so on 
Um, and at the same time, you see some of his leanings is, you know, absurd and odd <laughs> and strange. Similarly, yeah. though, if you do listen to him for a long enough time, you do see an openness of curiosity in him trying to actually see the other perspective, you know. So you see him kind of grappling with and wrestling with, you know, ideas, trying to formulate as he, as he's going along. So it's, it's quite nice to observe that. But I can imagine one person, you know, watching one episode and it coming from such a strong figure and, you know, his voice is very broad, um, you know, meets so many people in his popularity that if it comes from him, is that the trust part? Is that, you know, the popularity kind of ties into the trust thing and, and obviously, you know, totally spoke about, you know, whether it's our prime minister or, you know, Trump or anyone else, if, if there's a, if the people believe in them, if they say, you know, I don't know, let's say in the economic world at the moment, you know, things will be okay. We're not going to go into a recession. It's like, okay, well, if he said it, he must know, you know, or if she said. A hundred percent, right. So someone like, and he see, and as you're saying, because you go, because he openly struggles, you know, openly really considers these ideas, right? He really does try to consider all these different perspectives, right? And I think, and one of the reasons because of that is that he seems really unbiased. Right. So you going into that and you go, this guy's willing, willing to listen to everybody. Right. He's willing to think through all these different positions. And then he's just and then he comes to these conclusions. Right. And that and you and you and he's a kind of like avatar for the listener in that sense, because you're like, I'm an unbiased person. I just try to I'm just open to different people's perspectives. <laughs> right. And you kind of go, you know, uh, you know, and then you sort of see that you sort of go down that reasoning uh, path, and and you're totally right that you know, and that and that is a way to gain right. So he, so people trust him because you know, actually seeing his thought process is, uh, uh, I think, does lead people's trust uh, lead to people increased trust. Right? This is different than just a government person just saying, "Here's what we're doing. This is the truth. Go go do it." Right now, one of the things that's interesting. So we talked about all the uncertainty and how COVID jumped around and this was true, that was true. But get, when that is the case, there's actually evidence that sometimes being honest about the uncertainty and how this is a fluid changing thing is how it is, is better for gaining trust than pretending like it's not there. Right. You know, the and ideal situation the of uncertainty, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. And improves the intolerance of, right. Right. Ideally you would just have certainty and you communicate that. <laughs> right. But, but when, but when it's very obvious that there isn't so, right. Like anyone could sit there and go, we don't really know what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when, and when that's the situation, um, and, you know, and, and some, some colleagues of mine at the university of Sydney have sort of written some things around like which political leaders, we're kind of doing the recommended communication strategy. You can look around the world and go, this person was actually really good at kind of being clear about, you know, about the level of uncertainty and also what the government action was and all these things. And these other people were kind of, you know, uh, not really being transparent. So trans so transparency really does um, open, does increase trust, right? Mm -hmm. You need, you know, you need a person to appear transparent. They also need to appear competent <laughs> and they need to appear benevolent. Right. So sort of openness, benevolence, the perception of sort of transparency, benevolence and competence are all quite important to, um, you know, to sort of gain trust in people. Right. 
Um, right. And also, you know, something like Joe Rogan also is very, you know, in this case, you know, he's also charismatic and he's a professional comedian. Right. right. So, you know, so he, he has all these, you know, all these things, uh, uh, going for him. Right. And sometimes the criticism of, of, of him, right. Also, of course, people only really pay attention when people aren't Joe Rogan listeners, they only ever pay attention when something sort of bad happens. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they don't Right. So, but, uh, you know, I think some of the controversy is kind of like, sometimes people are like, well, that's actually not a perspective we want people to sort of look at, right? So, you know, the, the, the classic example being the kind of climate change example, where if 98% of scientists, you know, uh, you know, agree that this is human-caused climate change or whatever, and then they have a debate between one person from the 2% and one person from the 98%, right? That's sort of like, you know, sure. makes that that sort of makes it seem like there's much more uncertainty than there actually is, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, and so so sometimes the but that's a different type of but sometimes the criticism where you well like not every sometimes you're like should every perspective be <laughs> you know anyway, that's another that's sorry that's another issue but yeah how, how do we how do we buffer from this I mean if if I think about my training you know at, at university to be a psychologist you know, the at least what I took away, other than obviously, you know, the psych part was was um really trying to keep an open mind that you can argue any point. Um, that if if you want to write an essay on why, you know, CBT is the most efficacious you know, approach for treating depression, you can do that incredibly easily and you can likewise do the same with any other approach um, and, and they're all scientific and you can argue, you know, why one's not so um, powerful. So you can kind of pick something and you can use science, you know, uh, against them. So for me, what I took away um, and, you know, at least what I try and try and uh, do in, in, in therapy as well is when a client comes in, they come in with one rigid idea, an idea about maybe their identity or a rigid idea about what they're able to do or not able to do, um, rigid ideas about how the world is. So it's kind of narrow. You know, it's almost like, um, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a narrow perspective. And therapy is really about broadening that, creating more perspectives, more variation, to, to open up to other explanations and therefore maybe some other ways that someone could behave. So in many ways, I feel like I, I, I wear the skeptic's hat and, and the skeptic's hat is what else could explain this? Um, uh, mm. Similarly though, you know, that can kind of take me down some strange paths as well, because some of the very, well-established ideas i still maintain my skeptics hat and, and and continue to ask well what else could explain this is is this actually you know where where does this come from you know where where's this information yeah coming from why is it being distributed this way look listen to the language so for me linguistics is really yeah fascinating so uh, uh, hopefully you've captured some of the question there. How, how can we buffer against this or what are the, are, are there certain things that we can consider about how we can be, uh, uh, you know, pr protect ourselves a little bit from this and, and, you know, while still being functional in, in sure. life. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. So there's a few different things in there I'd like to uh, sort of pick, can pick up on. Well, one, so some of the stuff that actually has, seems to help is actually kind of having a therapeutic approach, right? So 
you know, so, so this guy, uh, uh, Lee McIntyre wrote this book on how to talk to a science denier. And I was going to actually bring this up as a sort of recommended book for people, um, where he sort of went to flat earth conferences and he sort of went to all these sorts of places and he sort of engaged with people. And he sort of saw that basically, you know, once you establish, once you establish trust by showing that you actually cared about the other person's perspective, you actually cared where they were coming from, right? Then after you sort of build that relationship, then a lot of those people were very happy to look at scientific evidence for things, right? So, you know, once, because if you're like the type of person, right, for example, if you're, you know, when you're, when you're watching your, you know, uh, uh, moon landing type of thing, you're like, I'm listening to experts, I'm curious, I'm interested, right? You're listening to their evidence. Right. And so, so the idea that people who are into whatever theory are somehow against evidence isn't really true. It's just like, how do you get them to sort of uh, engage with your argument, right? With your perspective. And so one of the things they were showing was that, you know, you really have to start out by showing that you care about listening to them. And that's one of the, that's one of the problems with one sort of model where, you know, the, 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 the head of, you know, the health minister just stands up and just tells everyone what to do, right? It just, it's, you know, it's sort of a one-way communication street, right? And you actually kind of often need a dialogue, right? Yeah. Where, where, and there, and this, and, but you in, know, in a therapy session, you know, it would always start with empathy and compassion. Right. And, exactly. And nurturing and understanding and, and, and being curious about, you know, and how was that for you? How did it feel? What did that mean? You're trying to get into their shoes. So, you know, a lot of those, you know, uh, factors are built into the way that therapy um, happens. No, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but then the issue is the scalability of that, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it would be much easier if a sign on a bu at a bus stop was effective of convincing people of things, right? You know, but if it turns out you basically need a therapist to like, <laughs> right, yeah. to, you know, to do this, right? I, it's I get how you feel. Put a mask on. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right, you know, so, right, it, it, but, but, but that is, um, you know, so, so how, you know, so then the, the challenge is like, what is, how can we kind of get at that two-way street, that two-way communication street, rather than just bark, you know, rather than just seeming like you're barking orders at people, you know, that, that seems to be, so that's one way to sort of help, so if, if people have the like, you know, people have the example of like, you know, the uncle at, you know, a uh, family dinner who comes in and is, uh, can, you know, and you're like, how do I convince this, you know, crazy old uncle of mine, right? And so one of the things is like, well, you got to start by really caring about his perspective and not just telling him he's wrong. Not, not that this is guaranteed to work, but that's sort of part of it. The other part of it, another part of it is thinking about this for yourself, right? Is, is one of the, is being willing to not just be skeptical of other, of other things, because you should never stop being skeptical of whatever, you know, if someone now, you know, uh, if you see a scientific finding in the news, it's, and it's reported by, you know, done by researchers at Harvard in the best journal, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be skeptical of it, right? <laughs> but, you know, and so you certain people should think critically about all, all of these things, but that's, but also it's not that useful to just automatically reject it either, right? So, you know, so, so, so critical, because critical engagement can certainly lead to being that okay i conclude that that's actually a good thing right critical engagement doesn't yeah. mean rejecting everything right and, um oh yeah, and sorry. as scientists we we can often you know 
do exactly the same with ourselves. We go, if it's scientific, it's therefore true. You know, your your new bias that you carry um, yeah. is 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 just adopting it just because, you know, if it's come out of this journal. Yeah, yeah. We're like, that must be good. Credible, period. Yeah. You know, so there's the trust. It's peer-reviewed and 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 you know, and that's it. So you're not kind of observing your own biases like, right, like yeah. so you, you're you know might be skeptical with the world but also being skeptical with your capacity to like it's kind of like the confirmation bias 80 percent of people think that they're a you know better than average driver right um you know seeing your own biases um that yeah that, that's 100 the, the point i was getting to where <clears throat> we can it's really important to, you know, looping back to that beginning thing I said about the illusion of explanatory depth and how we tend to overestimate our understanding, right? Our by our default bias is overestimating our own understanding of things. And so we have to look at our own uncertainty in ourselves, right? So how certain should we be in our own under in our own knowledge, right? So often skeptics, I'm like, oh, I'm a skeptic. What they say that about everyone else's stuff. But they're not skeptical about themselves, about own, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're not skeptical about their, about their own position, right? And so that's where. So I'll give you one, uh, maybe a final uh, uh, finding or something like this. Or, or is uh, there was a study looking at people who are protesting genetically modified foods? Uh, the people sort of like get GMOs out of foods, right? And they gave people. Uh, uh, they, they gave. They first. They so I said how much. They asked them how much do you know about genes and they go i know a lot <laughs> or some people some people say i know a lot of people say i don't know a lot then some, they also then gave them like a high school exam like give us a definition of a gene some basic sort of high school science level of genetics knowledge and the thing that predicted who was protesting gmos and food was not knowing how to define a gene but being really confident in their knowledge of genetics <laughs> right so it was the combination of the highest confidence and the lowest objective knowledge that were the people who were protesting the GMOs and food, right? And so now there's actually reasons to be opposed to genetically modified organisms around like mono, uh, you know, mono crops and all these sorts of eco. There's lots of ecological reasons, but their motivation, most of the protesting motivation, is like it's a toxin that's gonna sort of make it's it's back to that nat that naturalness art bias, yeah, yeah. right? So you know that that case, right? So so that's a case where people aren't properly interrogating themselves right and you know and that's but and not, and not such as them and we all we all do this right and so one of the, my sort of advice is you can't control as much as you can't necessarily control other people's minds <laughs> we can do the best we can with our own right and um you know and, and try to be skeptical you know uh but you know of course that doesn't mean doubt yourself forever you might check in with yourself and go no this is actually something i'm really confident in right there's you know mm -hmm. you could certainly conclude that sometimes you are you really should be quite certain of of your position right but you shouldn't but i think a lot of people start out with whatever my kind of position is i've yeah. reached that you know because there is this thing called naive there's this other bias called naive realism where we all think we're objective, but we think everyone else is full of biases. You're like, I see the world where it really is. You're a biased weirdo, right? Confirmation bias doesn't apply to me, but it applies to you, right? So, you know, and so that's, you know, so that's this bias that we have to sort of reckon with. Yeah. And it sounds like when, in for example, in therapy, you do that type of stuff all the time.
But it is interesting, and that makes a lot of sense. And 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 I think a beautiful place to 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 finish up on is is yeah. being able to observe your own. I'm I'm a big um, EV enthusiast, and you know um, I'm I'm part of the Elon Musk fan group, and, and <laughs> you know it's going to change the world and fix everything, and so on. Um, and I can actually observe myself selecting articles to read. And if, if, if there's an article which says anything about, you know, that EVs are terrible, I just simply don't read them, you know, so I can observe myself collecting them. But I think the difference is because I know that I'm doing that, I can actually also know that I, I don't know the whole picture. I don't know the whole story. And, and I, I can allow for there to be space which says, you know, and I genuinely believe it, there's probably a whole lot of pollutants and all sorts of stuff. Um, uh, but uh, uh, I'm also happy to sit with that um, intolerance of uncertainty. Um, I try and reduce my reduce my illusion of you know explanatory depth type of scenario to, to and just kind of sit with it. But uh, I think it's really pointed, you know, point uh, pointed um, uh, uh, consideration that you you say about trying to see it in yourself you know and it's not even being critical it's just to observe how does my brain work what are my heuristics what how do i take shortcuts what do i blindly believe it's it's kind of like looking at you know what are my core beliefs and if my core belief is that you know batteries are good and you know uh, gasoline is terrible um you know you're, you're you're not seeing a full picture um and and you know in there lies the the, the the complexity so um yeah sure. well look Mike, micah you've been unbelievably generous with your time i thank you so much with oh uh, thanks for having me it's really uh, great with, talking with, with with you know your your expertise is, is there anywhere else that you would like our readers so listeners to, to sure so follow yeah. on to continue this conversation sure so if they're interested in some uh you know general audience sort of books or that related to these types of topics so um, a lot of the stuff I was talking about with the sort of metacognitive illusions is that, so there's a book called The Knowledge Illusion by Steve Sloman and Philip Fernback uh, that, that has a really nice sort of introduction to a lot of aspects of cognitive psychology. It's a very cognitive psychology book, but it, but it really, it tries to explain a lot of interesting things from that cognitive psychological perspective. Um, uh, but that, and that book, the books by Lee McIntyre as well, the sort of how to talk to a science denier, if that's sort of in, if I was, I was mentioning, um, if you're interested, there's this book called uh, Science Blind um, by Andrew Stolman, who it, that one's interesting because it traces a lot about human development. So he's a, he's a developmental psychologist and he looks at the ch- how, how the changes in children's understanding of the world sort of mimic like the development of scientific theories over time where like at like four we often think the way like medieval theories sort of of like of science worked right and you know so you sort of see this kind of interesting progression anyway that's an interesting book um yeah so there are probably some more books on this but but those are all uh books along these lines i think are quite um interesting if people are you know looking for more Fascinating topic. You know, I think because it relates more to ourselves personally than it does the world. I think you know, if you can understand <laughs> yourself uh, more comprehensively, um, you're going to be uh, less less likely to get caught up in these and and, and develop some some uh, you know characteristics where you can 
sit with uncertainty because the truth is we're not going to find it in, and certainly <laughs> not everywhere or um uh, but you know there's a functional uh, uh there's some great functionality of having some skepticism but also toward oneself as well so micah thank you so much uh, appreciate your oh, thanks uh, for having me work. appreciate you and um well, it was yeah, great conversation thank you in the future see you talk to you soon Bye-bye. if you enjoyed this podcast please support it by going to itunes and putting a review subscribe share it via social media and tell others about it start a conversation it's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources and just lastly if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team develop your experience and get into some exciting work come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out i'd love to hear from you